And welcome again to Southwoods Church. My name is Lori Montague. I'm Greg's wife, for those of you who don't know me. Many of you know that Greg's been in North Africa, but he's back. You had a chance already to see him, and I hope we have a chance to talk to him. Maybe don't shake his hand because he's coughing quite a bit, but we're glad that he's back. And I'm so uh, privileged to have the opportunity to be with you today and to start a new series here at Southwoods, a wonderful new series, which is entitled uh, The Way of the Cross. The Way of the Cross. And as I was thinking about it, I thought the cross has for 2,000 years really been a symbol, hasn't it? A symbol of God's love, a symbol of his forgiveness, a symbol of the hope that is ours in Christ Jesus. And it leads us not only into a new series, but a new season. We begin a new season that in the coming weeks will lead us toward the cross, to a celebration of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I look forward to April 1st, which is Resurrection Sunday, Easter, and I look forward to celebrating our risen Lord. But today we pause, like you just have been through our communion service just now. We pause to remember that not only was Jesus our Savior, but before he was a Savior, he was a servant. He was a servant. You know, several weeks ago, uh, Greg and I had the privilege of going on a Royal Caribbean cruise. How many of you have ever been on a cruise? They're absolutely wonderful. I highly recommend them. And the Royal Caribbean is aptly named Royal because at every turn, everything is just royal. It's really a spectacular floating city, complete with luxurious accommodations, great food, wonderful entertainment. From start to finish, Greg and I and all the other guests aboard, I don't know how they do it, but we all experienced what I would call excellent service. Everything was just excellent. They have a staff of over 1,500 people on this boat, and I felt like every one of them was focused on me, making my vacation one of the best we've ever had. And I have to tell you, it's not difficult to relax when every need is being met. It's not difficult to enjoy. And here's a scary thing that happened to both Greg and I. We kind of started liking it an awful lot and expecting it. Several times I looked at Greg and I said, hey, don't get used to this, honey. <laughs> it's not quite like this back in Kansas. Our cruise was sponsored by a Christian uh, radio station called K-Love, K-Love radio station. And there were a lot of Christians around us, a lot of followers of Jesus, a lot of really talented musical artists. But I have to tell you that even I was surprised one evening when we were ushered into our beautiful dining room. We had a seat by an ocean, by the ocean view seat kind of thing, beautiful linen tablecloths, all kinds of nice china. And I notice these kinds of things and I'm smelling the food. And then they come out to us and they introduce to us our waiter for the evening, who is Jesus. <laughs> I took a picture of it because I didn't think you'd believe me. <laughs> and right before I said to Greg in the selfie, I said, I think we're gonna have excellent service tonight. <laughs> And this really is a Christian cruise. Jesus, table 237, was our waiter. Keith and Terry were there. They can vouch for that as well. Jesus was our waiter. Um, and as I've reflected on this idea, we did receive great service that evening and every evening. And as I've reflected on this idea of excellent service, complete service, full service, and kind of the consumer mentality world that we live in, where we just really kind of expect, you know, things to go well and for our needs to be met. I've found myself considering how contrary, actually, how different our world is really from the way of the cross. It's very, very different. 
Because according to the Bible, according to God's word, Jesus, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Son of God, sometimes we sing about him in a song, the darling of heaven. He came to our earth, the Bible says, not to receive excellent service. And he was a king. But he came, the Bible says, instead to serve. I came not to be served, he said, but in fact to serve. And throughout the Bible, we see him again and again doing things that are contrary to what a king would do. He's stooping, he's bending, he's bowing. Why? To meet the needs of the others around him. Jesus came not to be served or to receive excellent service, but he in fact came to serve. He talks about it often with his disciples. Turn in your Bibles or follow along on the screen if you'd like to uh, the book of Mark, Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. And one time he was talking about this with his disciples and he said, among you, it will be different. It will be different. Verse 43, whoever wants to be a leader among you must first be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the son of man, and those are the words that Jesus used to describe himself. He could have said, for even I came not to be served, but to be served, but to serve others and to give my life as a ransom for many. Another time throughout scripture, he's talking about this and he's kind of testing the disciples there to see if they're really getting the idea and just a clue, they weren't. They weren't getting it at all. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Luke chapter 9, verse 46, just a few pages over, another gospel writer. Then the disciples began arguing about which one of them was the greatest. Are they getting the idea? Not so much. But Jesus knew their thoughts. And so he brought a little child to his side, and then he told them, anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes my Father who is in heaven who sent me. And then he reiterates again this kind of theme. Whoever is the least among you is actually the greatest. And when I think about it, these are kind of upside down kind of words, aren't they, for our world. Whoever wants to be a leader must be a servant. Whoever wants to be first must be a slave. And Jesus regularly preached these kind of words, but more than just words that were empty, the scripture shows us that he lived these words, especially, and I find this so amazing, even on the way to the cross, he was living these kinds of words. I think there's nowhere in scripture more uh, picturesque and more uh, exemplative of the humble and gentle ways of our Savior than in the final hours when he spent washing the feet of his disciples in John chapter 13. And today we're going to take a look at this passage of scripture, this story. A lot of you know it. You've read it. You've studied it. You've taught it. You've maybe even written about it. But today I'd like for us to look at it in maybe a fresh way. So turn in your Bibles, if you will, to John chapter 13. And let's read this story recorded for us by the Apostle John. And he writes, before the Passover celebration, again, these are in the final days of Jesus' life here on earth, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and to return to his Father. And he had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. And it was time for supper, 
kind of like the Lord's Supper that we just enjoyed, the Passover Supper. And the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray him. And Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and that he would return from God. And so he got up from the table that evening. He took off his robe. He wrapped a towel around his waist and he poured water into a basin. And then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel girded about him. And when Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested. You are not going to wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, wash your feet, you don't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands. <laughs> wash my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Jesus replied, a person who is bathed all over doesn't need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, except not all of you, for Jesus knew who would betray him. That's why he said, not all of you are clean. And then after washing their feet, he put on his robe and he sat down again. This scene that, again, you've read and studied before, uh, just let me remind you, in John 13, is a scene of first century Jerusalem. First century Jerusalem had uh, very few, if any, paved roads. Roads were dirt. Roads were dirty. The roads in the alleys were filled with dust, and when the rains would come, especially this time of year, there would be, as you can imagine, a lot of, of mud. And it was a custom, therefore, if you were having a dinner at your home, to hire a uh, servant, maybe, to provide a servant at the door of your home so that as the dinner guests arrive, uh, they would have their feet cleansed. And the dinner guests would, would, would be ready to, to eat, but before they would eat, the servant would kneel before them with a pan of water and a towel, and he would wash the dirt, and she would dry the towel, use, dry the, the feet, and make sure that they were ready so that they could enjoy the meal together. And usually, like a lot of our homes, the shoes or the sandals would just be kind of left at the door. History tells us that if they weren't rich enough to afford a servant, you know, to hire a servant, then usually one of the early arriving guests would just take it upon themselves to say, I'll do that. You keep getting ready for the dinner. I'll take care of that. And they would wash the feet as the guests arrived. The interesting thing here is that there is no hired servant to wash the feet. There are 12 men, but none of them take it upon themselves to graciously say, I'll do it. It's been said that this room was filled with, with really proud hearts and a lot of stinky feet, a lot of dirty feet. These are the same men who, interestingly enough, even in the passage we looked at, would be thinking and arguing and talking a lot about who's the greatest, who's going to have the best seat in the throne. But these men are not willing to fight for a towel. They're not ready to serve. And Jesus knows that. And in an amazing way, he does an amazing thing that evening that continues to teach not only those disciples, but disciples like us who continue to follow Jesus. The Bible says that in just a matter of hours, and don't let that detail be lost, in just a matter of hours, he will be hanging on the cross. But Jesus stands up. He takes off his tunic. He wraps the towel of a slave around his waist. 
and then taking a pitcher of water. He goes to the end of the table or the beginning of the table. I don't know where he started. But without a word, he takes the feet of the disciple and he brushes the dirt off. And then he begins to splash some nice, cool, refreshing water on the feet. And then he cleanses the feet. He massages the feet. And then he takes the towel from his waist and he wipes those feet dry. When he finishes with the first disciple, he goes to the next disciple. And he starts the whole process over, washing, wiping, cleaning, drying. One Bible scholar estimates that it probably took over an hour over an hour for Jesus to wash the 24 feet. One of my favorite writers, Max Licato, writes about it in a book that's aptly named Just Like Jesus. And he says in a poetic, day, poetic way, in Jesus' day, washing of feet was a task reserved not just for servants, but for the lowest of servants. The servant at the bottom of the totem pole was expected to be the one on his knees with the towel and basin. But in this case, in John 13, this night, the one with the towel and the basin is the king of the universe. His hands were the ones that shaped the stars. And now they wash away filth. Fingers that formed mountains now massage toes. And the one before whom all nations will one day kneel now kneels before his own disciples. Just hours before his own death, Jesus' concern is singular. He wants his disciples to know how much he loves them. More than removing dirt, Max says, Jesus is removing doubt. And that's exactly what happened that night. Keep reading in your Bibles. John chapter 13, let's pick it up with verse 12. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again, and he sat down and he asked, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's who and what I am. And since I, Jesus says, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth, this is a proverb that he quotes, slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. And then he wraps up by saying, now that you know these things, you will be blessed. God will bless you for doing them. I still, friends, find it absolutely amazing that in his final hours with his best friends, with his team, his team that's going to carry on this mission that he is now leaving in their hands, that he decides in those moments to wash their feet. What would you have done? If you were surrounded by your best men and women, your team, I know what I would have done. I would have had a strategy meeting. We would have been hammering out the mission statement. We would have been checking to make sure everybody had it memorized. We would have been crafting and recrafting and wordsmithing the values of this ministry, the values of this organization. We would have been motivationally challenging our team. If I'd been Jesus that night, I would have saved that night for the best miracle ever. I mean, a big one. A big one that would indelibly imprint upon these young men that I'm the son of God, if I were Jesus that night. Or I would have pulled out a really good sermon, a really good message, a persuasive speech, 
I thought about it this week, and we know that not far from this date, just a few months later, 50 days, Pentecost happens, right? And on Pentecost, what happens? The Holy Spirit comes. If I'd been Jesus, I think I would have been tempted to invite the Holy Spirit to dinner that night. It's a feast. It's Passover. And it's the final evening with my team. Did Jesus do any of those things? <laughs> no. Instead, in his final hours with his best men, with his strategic team, what was on his bucket list? A bucket. Quite literally a bucket. A basin of water, a towel, and an act of service that got their attention and continues to get our attention. In his final hours with his best men, Jesus chose to serve them. And I asked the question, why? Why did Jesus, when he could have done many different things, why did he wash their feet in an act of service in those final hours when he was with his best men? There's a lot of lessons that come out of this scripture. A lot of you have read and known many of them. But today I'd like to share with you just three that really jumped out to me as I was looking at this again in this passage of scripture. They come right out of the scripture. And the first one is this. When Jesus washed his disciples' feet, he was demonstrating the full extent of his love. The full extent of his love. Look again at verse 1. Chapter 13, verse 1, it says, He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. Isn't that beautiful? He loved them to the very end. An old translation that I learned as a little girl says, Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Have you ever had someone show you the full extent of their love through an act of service? I imagine you have. Several years ago, um, I was thinking about this earlier this week. Uh, I had this happen to me in a way that I'll never forget. I was on bed rest with the pregnancy of our second son. A lot of you remember that. It was kind of a hard time for me because I had to just lie down. I couldn't cook. I couldn't clean. I couldn't play with our toddler son, Joe. And Greg had to pick up a lot of the, the pieces and hold together our home. And y'all, many of you helped us in regard in those days. But I especially remember one day when a friend of mine popped in and she said, hey, I have all afternoon. And I was so glad to see her. She always makes me laugh. She always makes me smile. She's still one of my good friends. And she said, what can I do? I said, just sit here. Let's just have a cup of coffee. Let's just talk. Make me laugh. Let's enjoy some time together. No, I want a vacuum. I said, it's already been done. I want to dust. I want to do laundry. I want to cook a meal. She wanted to do something. And all of those things were done, and she just kept persisting, insisting, let me do something. Let me do the one thing, she said. What's the one thing that you can't do, and you really want to, and you hate to do? What's that one thing? She wore me down. <laughs> and eventually, I think she saw it on my face, and I said, okay, it's, oh, it's my shower. It's our shower. We have kind of an old shower. It's dirty, and I can't, I can't do it. I can't stand that long. I need to be, you know, lying down. Say no more. <laughs> and my girlfriend who had come looking really cute, she had a good hair day, girlfriends, you know a good hair day. She had makeup on, she looked so cute. And she just raced upstairs and she began scrubbing the mildew and the mold and I was just overcome. 
She was washing away the soap scum and making it shine honestly like it's never shined before. And when she came out, I, I was so grateful and so thankful and honestly just so humble. And I'm like, why did you, know, why'd you do that? And I still remember to this day, she just gave me a great big old hug and she shrugged her shoulders and she said, we love you guys. And then she was gone. It was a humbling experience for me because she was showing, not just telling me, but showing me the full extent of her love. Regardless of the filth in my shower, <laughs> she just jumped right in there and did it. And in the same way, Jesus, regardless of the filth on their feet, regardless of the dirt and dust in their hearts that he knew about, he knew about their past, he knew about their presence, he knew about their futures, he just jumped right in there and he washed their feet. And he knew for sure where those feet would go in the coming days. He knew that they would not follow him to the cross. He knew that. He knew that the next day they would not really, really defend the cause like they talked about. He knew that when the Roman soldiers came to that garden and they were sleeping when he'd asked them to pray, that they would dash, they would run in fear. He knew that he would be abandoned in the garden. He knew that one would betray him with a kiss. That's not what a kiss is for. He knew that they would deny him, deny that they ever even knew him. And he knew that in the days following, they would huddle together in fear behind locked doors. He knew the men and he knew the feet that he was washing. And yet he washed their feet. He showed the full extent of his love and he displayed to them a lesson that is for us. The Bible says that the disciples didn't understand it. They did not understand that the cleansing of the dirt from their feet was in a way indicative of the blood of Christ that was going to be shed to cleanse away their sin and the sin of all mankind. They didn't really understand it. And in that act of service, he showed the full extent of his love. And at the cross, he showed the full extent of his love for us. It's a big and expansive an extensive kind of love. And that's how much he loves every one of us. He knew who they were, and yet he still bowed to serve them. Paul says, I pray that you will have power with all of the saints to understand the love of God. He says, I want you to understand how deep and how wide and how high and how tall and how amazing is the love of God. Jesus, in the final hours on the way to his cross, said, the only way I can really show them the full extent of my love is to bend and to bow and to wash their feet. And so today, I want to ask you, because I wouldn't be a good preacher's wife if I didn't, have you received his love? Have you received that expansive, extensive, big, amazing kind of love? I mean, has there been a day when, when you opened up your heart, you opened up your mind, you opened up yourself and you surrendered and you said, Lord, I want that love in my life. And you repented to him and you turned away from your sin and then you walked with him and allowed him to change you. Again, I wouldn't be a good friend if I didn't ask you, have you accepted that kind of love? 
Don't let this day go by. Talk to somebody. Talk to one of us if we can help you to receive that kind of love. I believe that night that Jesus washed their feet because he wanted them to see the extent of his love, what he was willing to do for the people that he loved the most. Secondly, the reason I believe Jesus washed the disciples' feet that evening is because when he washed the disciples' feet, and again, this comes right out of Scripture. This is not just Lori. It says he was giving us an example to follow. Look again at verse 14. And he says, Since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example, Jesus said, to follow. Do as I have done. Until that moment when Jesus washed the disciples' feet, the whole point of everything was to get to the top, get further to the top, get to the tip top, and stay there. That's always been the plan of humankind, right? But again, Jesus, the rabbi, the teacher, the master, the son of God, the king of kings, he's already on top, suddenly got down on bottom, and he washed their feet. And in that one act, he got their attention. Talk about an example to follow. He washed their feet, and then notice what he says. You ought to wash each other's feet. I find this so interesting because here's how I see the disciples. I think they would have just been like teacher's pets. They would have been willing to do anything for Jesus. I think they would have been fighting. and I'm going to wash his feet. No, I'm going to wash his feet. I'm going to wash his feet. I'm going to wash his feet. If Jesus had said, would somebody wash my feet? But notice Jesus didn't say, wash my feet. He says to do something quite hard. You all fellows, I'd like for you... <laughs> to wash each other's feet. That's a whole different thing, isn't it? I'm sure they said, you, you got to be kidding, Jesus. You don't know this guy. This, this one's really, really, really proud. I don't want to, I don't really want to wash his feet. He should be washing my feet. And you know, it's easy for me here in Johnson County, 2,000 years later, to be critical of these disciples and to say they, they you know, could have done better. But let me ask you a question. Are there people in your life that are hard to love? Are there people in your life that are hard to serve? Are there people maybe that um, you work with or that live near you or people that share the same DNA? <laughs> and before you feel all convicted, let me just be the first to say, I've got some. I've got folks that are hard to love. I've got folks that are hard to serve. And truth is, Jesus did too. I mean, I imagine that evening that Jesus came to John which is, who is called, you know, the, the beloved disciple, the one that loved Jesus. And I'm sure it wasn't hard for him at all to just wash his feet. But how do you think you felt when you came to Peter? Peter, the impetuous one that even now is trying to redo the Holy Being. You're not going to wash my feet. He had to talk him down, didn't Jesus? And he knows that in a few days, this one who's always wanting to change the plan is going to deny him. How do you think he felt when he came to Thomas? We know a little bit about Thomas. Thomas was the, the skeptic among them. He's like, I don't know. I don't know. I think he's the son of God. But this dying and rising again, remember, he had a terrible time believing. And Jesus knew that. He knew he was one that was going to doubt. He knew that he was one that was a skeptic. How do you think Jesus felt when he came to Judas? He's already spoken of him, calling him unclean, and he knows for sure 
that he's the one that will betray him. And yet I find it so interesting that you can look through scripture, look hard, and it never says that Jesus washed all the disciples' feet except for Judas or Peter or Thomas. 24 feet in the room, 12 disciples, Jesus washed them all. He didn't allow their sin or their weaknesses to cloud or diminish his love for them. And he's the same with us, regardless of where we've been or what we're do, doing. He doesn't allow our sin or our weaknesses to cloud or to diminish the love that he has for each of you. Many years ago, 1982, I remember it well, I was 20 years old in Bible college. I was falling in love with Greg. We were thinking about ministry. We were thinking about our life ahead. What would we do for the Lord Jesus Christ? And I read a book called Improving Your Serve by Chuck Swindoll. And tucked away in that book, I still have it. And I've shared this poem with you many, many times. I read these words. They still changed me. They changed me and they still challenged me. And the poem says this, and believe it or not, it's written by Anonymous. You know, Lord, how I will serve you with great emotional fervor when I'm in the limelight. You know, Lord, how eagerly I'll speak for you at women's Bible study or at a big old women's retreat. You know, Lord, my genuine enthusiasm on a mission trip. You know how I can effervesce when I promote anything about our church. But how would I react, I wonder, if you pointed to a basin of water and you asked me to wash the calloused feet of a bent, wrinkled, ungrateful woman day after day, month after month, in a room where nobody even saw and in a room where nobody knew. Jesus that evening washed his disciples' feet in the final hours before he went to the cross to show them the extent of his love. And in that final evening, he washed their feet because he wanted to give them an example to not just serve him, but to serve each other. And finally, I believe that when Jesus washed the disciples' feet that night, he did so because he wanted to give us an expectation to enjoy a great expectation to enjoy. Again, it comes right out of the scripture. Look, if you will, at the last verse in this story, verse 17, Jesus says, now that you know these things, now that you've been informed, now that you've enjoyed the foot washing, now that you've been with me, God will bless you for doing them, for doing them. This is amazingly good news that God's blessing can be upon us when we serve others. This is good, good news. I mean, is there anything else in your life that you want other than the blessing of God? The blessing of God in your marriage, the blessing of God in your home, the blessing of God in your work, the blessing of God with your children, the blessing of God in your finances, the blessing of God in your health, the blessing of God, the blessing of God we seek, we honor, we pursue the blessing of God. And Jesus says, if you will do these things, if you will serve one another as I have served you, the blessing of God is a great expectation that you can look forward to. That's the good news. The bad news, however, is feet stink. <laughs> they are messy. They are dirty. They are icky. 
And you, if you choose to follow Jesus, are going to be involved in some situations that are messy, that are dirty, that are inky, inky, icky, that are stinky. You're going to be involved in situations that are not popular, that are not so nice. You're not going to necessarily receive a reward here on earth or the applause from your friends. In fact, quite the opposite is true. Have you ever had someone say, why do you still go to that church? Why do you still give money to a church? Why do you still open your house regularly on Tuesday evening and allow people to come in here and study the Bible with you? Can't we go shopping? Duh, you're going to hear people say, are you kidding me? You take a week off from your vacation, of your vacation, to go to Mexico every year, and then you go and give a whole lot of money to orphans all around the world. I've seen some of you, you wash all kinds of things up there at that church. You serve, you clean, you play guitars, you just do so much. Put communion trays together, you usher, you count the offering, you work with the children. You're, you shouldn't have to do that anymore. You go on those trips with the students. Have you ever had anybody say any of those things and question you and why you've done it? That's because the world says this is different. But what did Jesus say? Be different. Be different. Serve. Act like me and wash each other's feet. So friends, what about you? Are you ready to wash some feet this week? You can do it here at Southwoods. We'd be happy to get you on a team or give you opportunities. But here's the thing, you can wash some feet in your home. You can wash some feet with your coworkers or the people you play softball with or bowl with or work with or your neighbors. And in doing so, I think the same lessons are true. As we serve one another, we show not only the full extent of our love, but if we do it in the name of Jesus Christ, we are showing the full extent of Jesus' love for them. And sometimes an act of service opens a door for us to give a verbal witness and to say, this is why I do it. This is why I do it. You can show the full extent of his love when you serve. Also, when you do it, you will be following the example. Jesus said, I'm giving you an example. Do as I have done. And perhaps this isn't our motivation, but Jesus said it. You can expect a great blessing. God will bless you if you will do as I have done. And so Southwoods, it's always my prayer that we would be a church that leads the way leads the way like a Royal Caribbean cruise, providing not just service, but excellent service. And the glory would go not to each other, not to ourselves, but the glory would go to our Heavenly Father. I hope this week you'll join me in washing one another's feet, that you'll remember what Jesus did when he washed the feet of the disciples. We're going to pray together. Greg is coming. And I want to invite you to stand and to pray with us and to remember if there's not been a day that you accepted the full extent of Jesus' love, this is a good day to do it. Come forward. We're here. We'd be happy to help you. And let's continue to serve as Jesus did. We're going to pray together. And then uh, one thing we're going to do afterwards, too, if you need somebody to pray with you, if you need to verbalize your faith, as Scripture teaches us to do, to confess before men that, you're the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, my Lord and Savior. Maybe you need to verbalize that today to, to somebody. We'd be happy to pray with you about that this morning. But also just want you to know that uh, uh, Mark Perrin and I, who were gone last week because we were fishing, 
if you were here, remember. So we were fishing in North Africa, and we're, uh, we're, we're going to hang around for a little bit, just a dialogue with anybody who wants to talk about that, because uh, it's not really our intent to live stream all of that. But if you would like to hang around and chat about that, we'd be happy for you to do that and uh, just tell you a little about our trip. So if you, if you would rather go get pizza, we understand. That's okay. But uh, if you want to hang around, we'll hang around, okay? Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you, Lord Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve. You modeled the values of your kingdom, uh, not just with words, but with actions. Help us to follow in your footsteps. Uh, help us to humble ourselves and recognize that out of humility flows uh, all greatness, all goodness, all that you intend to be um, present in our world. All, all that is of worth flows out of humility. And so help us to choose that path, every one of us, uh, for your kingdom's sake and uh, because of your example. We ask, Lord, that you would go with us this week. Uh, would you guide our thoughts and our actions? Help us to know who you would serve if you were standing in our place, in our shoes, uh, whose feet you would wash. And uh, fill us with the humility that is yours, that... Uh, that your world might be a better place and that people might be blessed through us um, on your behalf. Would you uh, be with us now as we uh, uh, head our separate ways? May we walk and go in the power of your Holy Spirit. And uh, we're thankful for your grace. It's in Jesus' name that we lift this prayer. Everybody agreed with me? Said? Amen. Amen. Bless you all.